0: Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Kahului Baptist Church. If if you're just joining us for the first time, whether it be from the cruise ship or elsewhere in Kahului, Maui, thank you. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, as we just read. I hope you guys uh, are enjoying our time in Timothy as much as I am. Next week, we will be talking about women and the place they play in the body of Christ. Uh, and so that should be a great time. There's a story told of a poor old man who when he was three years old, he had been taught by his mother to repeat a prayer every night. And he did this until he was 73 years old. And he was rather proud of this fact, and he often uh, did not omit telling others that he said his prayer every night for 70 years. And at the age of 73, it pleased God to afflict him severely. And he was led by the Holy Spirit to see that he was a poor sinner who had been living in a form of godliness, but had never felt its power. And so he was enabled to spend the last few years of his life in humble dependence on the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And so when he referred to himself from that moment on, he would often add, I am the old man who said his prayers for 70 years and yet all the time never prayed at all. This passage is extremely important for prayer and the life of the body. At the end of chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare. This charge I entrust to you in accord with the prophecies made previously about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And we've already seen that the church in Ephesus was under duress. They were in struggle with false teachers who had devoted themselves to endless genealogies and myths and all these things, and these things did not overflow with love, with a pure love, a love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, and that by rejecting this charge in Christ Jesus, some had made shipwrecks of their faith. And as Paul leads into this next section, this important Section in First Timothy chapter 2, one of the first things he highlights in waging a good warfare is the use of prayer, is the use of prayer. And so as we transition to this, the big idea, if you want to take it away, if you want to wage a good warfare, you have to use the right weapons. If you want to take that away from this, if you want to wage. Good warfare, you have to use the right weapons. And we could also add, you must know what the plan or goal is of which you are trying to accomplish. We covered that last week. The chief, the glory of God is chiefly displayed in his patient redemption of the worst of sinners. You're going to see that highlighted again in this passage. This is God's plan, this is his aim, his goal, his purpose to redeem sinners. And one of the primary weapons. That we use in that effort is prayer. Anybody see the movie that recently came out, War Room? War Room, raise your hand if you saw War Room. Uh, if you have not seen War Room, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have not seen War Room. Okay, I commend it to you. I do. Uh, there's not a lot of movies I would commend. Uh, sometimes the, the Christian genre can be a little cheesy or, or add things in there, but I can say this. This was a good movie, all right? It was good. It was solid. It will stir your heart to prayer. They preach the gospel. They preach Christ crucified, risen, and it is, you will be encouraged. Uh, If you're going to watch a movie this weekend or whatever, check out War Room. It's good stuff. Prayer is extremely important, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Christ. We're going to talk about all of it. If you want to wage the good warfare, you have to use the right weapons. Let's pray. Father, We confess, I confess that far too often I don't go to prayer first, but last. And I would venture to guess many in here are like that also. We go to prayer as a last resort rather than a first resort. Would you forgive us for this pride? We ask that you would forgive us and that you would be patient with us, and we thank you for how you are patient with us, Lord, as as often we try and handle things in our own strength. And Lord, I ask now that as, as we speak on your word, as we meditate on it, that your spirit would press into our hearts the need, the necessity, the value, the benefit of prayer in our lives. And that you'd be glorified, Father, as we pour our hearts out to you in prayer. May we do it in the name of Christ and for his glory. And I ask that you would do these things, that you would stir us up, that many would hear the gospel, many would receive the gospel, and that you would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of prayer, in Luke chapter 10, verse 3, Jesus, when he sends out the 72 disciples, he says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send forth more laborers into the harvest. And then he says, go. Go your way. I send you out. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's kind of the way he leaves us. I send you out. And that's a great commission. We, have, we take that all the way. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And if you want to see a living illustration of how helpless a lamb is today, there's two of them outside. Check them out after service. Uh, there's two lambs. They're about this big. I was going to come in here holding it, but I didn't want them to do shishi on me or poop on the stage, all right? So they're actually outside right now. My friend Nolan uh, Bryant brought them out from Haiku. I've, I confess I've never seen a lamb or touched a lamb like that. Um, that's just where, how I grew up. Didn't grow up in the farm, right? So I was like, oh, look, there they are. It's a lamb. They're very helpless and stinky, all right? So, no, they don't stink that bad, but they do smell. Uh, so, check them out. Might be encouraged. Number one, we pray for peace. Number one, we pray for peace. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And here's the purpose clause so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way Uh, some people will say oh what's the difference here between supplications and prayers and intercessions and and thanksgivings I would say there's not a huge difference these are apologists heaping word upon word upon word to emphasize for us the importance of prayer The preeminence, if you will, or crucial nature of prayer in the life of the believer. So he says, first, first of all, therefore, first of all, this is extremely, extremely important. This means if we're going to wage a good warfare and combat false teaching, and if the aim of our charge is to be love then it is extremely important to note the fact of prayer and the life of the body. Think about this. The first thing you can do in love for your brothers and sisters, the first thing you can do to care for one another as it overflows, as your faith in God overflows out of this loving heart that should overflow first, and I would say primarily for other people in that we pray for them. That we pray for them. That we lift them up before a holy God. That we plead for their souls. So often, that's, I would say, one of the last things I do in my love for other people. I might go and buy you something, or I might cook you dinner, or I may do something of that nature. But how often is it the first thing we do, man, I love this person. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. Hey, what's your name, Raymond? Oh, cool. How long have you been going here? Five years. Cool, me too. I haven't known you this whole time, right? Or I've been coming here for two weeks, dude. Awesome. Man, was so cool to get to know that guy, Raymond. And he's part of the body of Christ. Maybe I should... I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray for you, Raymond. I'm going to pray for you, man. Just, is there anything I could pray for you for in particular? You know, that would be the most loving thing you could do for him. Even if you don't know him, that would be the most effective you could do for him and one of the reasons that this is hard for us is because we like to do things on our own strength right at the end of the day we like to step back whether it be at work or at home and you look over what you did like man i got a lot done today look at everything i got accomplished wow this is what's not about, it's nice to cut the grass, right? When we do this, you cut the grass, you mow, you sweat, and you look back over your handiwork, and it smells good. It looks good. Yeah, I did something. I got something accomplished today. The hard thing about prayer is we can spend a lot of time doing it, and by the time we say amen, we get up, and it seems like we've done very little. seems like we've accomplished nothing. And on top of that, now I still have to go cut my grass and do all these things. See, prayer is a great act of faith and a great act of love in that we let go of what we can do in our own strength and we get before God Almighty and we ask God, you do what I cannot. Build this person up. Change their hearts. Help their hearts to beat for Christ. May our fighter verse come in power on Raymond this week. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Help Raymond to walk in righteousness. Help him to shun wickedness. Help him to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Help him to write to do all of these things. Would not be that, would not that be the greatest way you could love each other and love our church? So if you love people. From the scriptures right here you say I love people I love people I love people a lot if you love people you'll pray for them you'll pray for them long before you move to do anything else for them if you love me pastor you guys love me hey whoa man that's messed up no no, no. <laughs> right you guys love me yeah. yeah I I love you too all right if you love me guess what you'll do You'll pray for me. I need that. And if I love you, guess what I'll do? I'll pray for you. You know, that's actually one of the things that's defined as my job. You know, there's not a whole lot of tasks defined in Scripture for a pastor, what he's supposed to do. You know, one of the things is, though, prayer. Give myself to praying for you. You know, it would actually be a sin if I did not, a grave sin, more than if you were to not pray for me. If you love me, pray for me. If you love our church, what will you do? Pray for it. I've said this before. What is the second most important book apart from the Bible in the life of our church? The membership directory, man. The membership directory. Get one of those things and pray through it. I'm not kidding. That's one of the, the, That will be the, the aim, the focus of, oh, what do I fill out? The commands of God. How do I love one another and be patient with somebody? The first group of people is going to be that membership directory, man. Oh, right there. Jim's got one. See? That's it. That's how he knows your names. I know he prays for you guys. It's very good. We pray through the directory. Get to know, hey, make it your challenge to work through the directory and say, I don't know who that person is. I'm going to get to know them so I can better pray for them. If you love our church, you'll pray for it. And don't view it as taking time out of your day. Because it's actually not taking time out of your day. It's actually taking time and investing it in a way that you know will make a difference. It's taking your time and and pouring it into something that you know will have an impact. One of the few things you can do that you know will have an impact. So you pray for others. So first, he urges us to pray for all people. Then he kind of gives us an idea of what type of people he's talking about. For kings and all who are in high positions or all who are in authority. Why do we pray for kings and all who are in high positions? Why does he tell us, like, why not say, you know, pray for the poor, for the oppressed, for the homeless, the sick? Why not pray for them? Why pray for kings and all who are in high positions? Well, if you're familiar with church history, then you know there are certain periods of history that have resulted in these very powerful people, kings and all who are in high positions, using their power to persecute Christians, to kill them. And if you're being persecuted and somebody is using their power to hate you and make your life as miserable as possible, do you think your first inclination Humanly speaking, you'd be honest with me here. You think your first inclination would be to pray for that person? Now, some of us in here will say, well, yeah, that would be my first inclination. Let me ask, is your first inclination to pray for our president or to talk poorly about him, to criticize him? Your first inclination to pray for our mayor? or to nitpick about all the things that are going wrong in the community that he's not doing anything about. Ouch. So we can identify with all throughout church history that our first inclination is often not to pray for those in high positions or authority, but to criticize them or to be angry towards them. Rather, our first inclination ought to be love flowing from a pure heart good conscience and sincere faith to pray pray for them not just the president but for all who are in high positions who all who are in these powerful positions you say but the government is wicked the government is corrupt they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing you say yes yes we are aware of that that because of genesis chapter three nothing works the way it's supposed to work right God told the earth, he said, uh, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, and he he blessed the ground and commanded that it bear forth, bring forth fruit. But Genesis chapter 3, it now brings forth fruit, but it also brings forth thorns and thistles. It doesn't do what it was originally designed to do as it was designed to do it. And so just as God appointed the earth to bear fruit, so God appointed the government to restrain wickedness and encourage righteousness protect it and just as in times of drought beloved when the earth is not producing fruit in times of drought what do we do we pray God send rain God bring forth fruit provide food for your people open up the heavens and allow your mercy to flow down so that we might eat and move that's the same thing we do with our government when it is not doing what it is appointed to do when it is protecting sin and restraining righteousness. We pray, God, turn the heart. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Proverbs 21, he turns it wherever he wills. Lord, turn the heart of the king to do what you've appointed it to do. We pray. Another reason we pray for the government or in kings and all in high positions is that they would enact laws as they have the power to do so to allow for the unhindered flow of the gospel. So we pray for them to make conditions for us to live a peaceful and quiet life. When Israel was exiled to Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah, God told him to tell the people this. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Remember now, this is Israel. They had just been slaughtered and their cities decimated by Babylon. They're now living as captives in their land. And this is what God says to them. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Interesting. And then Peter actually picks up on this exile thread and calls all of us exiles, beloved. All of us are in this world as exiles, pilgrims, sojourners. This is not our home. We seek a heavenly city. And then, like now, we seek the welfare of the city where we are sent. Seek their good, because in their welfare, we will find welfare. And so we don't merely consider what the government is presently, okay? Is the government broken? Maybe you like Barack Obama. Maybe you hate Barack Obama. Maybe you like Donald Trump. Maybe you hate Donald Trump. Maybe you like Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. Maybe you hate them. But we don't consider what they are presently. We consider what God appointed them to be and pray to that end. You guys tracking with me? And so it is often said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Then he says, pray for these people, pray for them. And he says, why? There's a reason that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Is God saying, is he commanding us here to pray that we'll have a restful, relaxing life? a comfortable retirement, spending our Sunday, Saturday evenings doing frivolous things until we go into glory, that we may lead, re, lead a peaceful and quiet life. Is this what he's praying? That we can just watch the Super Bowl and not worry about anything? That's what I'm praying for, man. Let's, that's what he says, right? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. This would be the prosperity gospel that goes forth. No. I would take contention with any rendering of this passage to indicate that. Why, you say? Because in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, everybody who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wait, so if we're going to be godly, then we're going to be persecuted, but we're supposed to pray for a peaceful and quiet life, but yet you promise that I'm not going to get a peaceful and quiet life. I'm actually going to get persecution, which seems to me to be the very absence of peace and quiet, right? How many of you, whenever you go home, you just say, man, I just want, I'm done with job, I clocked out, I'm done with school, Maui High, Baldwin, wherever you go, and I'm just going to go home to a peaceful home, and you define peace as just persecution, right? Man, I just can't wait to be persecuted when I get home, be grilled. No, nobody does that. And Paul says that that's not what's going to happen. So that means that this passage cannot therefore mean that we are to expect this type of ease in this life. You tracking with me so far? You got it? So what is it? We'll get there in a second. Suffice it to say for now that our prayers are not meant to consist primarily of temporal pleasures. Pleasures conveniences, comforts. And sadly, I would say this is the case in many prayer meetings. Think about it. The prayer meetings that you have gone to, what are the most prayer requests concerned with? This is going to be a gentle uh, nudge. Every pastor will tell you this. Talk to any pastor any amount of time. What do prayer meetings generally consist of? Do you feel like you go into them and then come out of them like, man, we just shook the heavens for the glory of God and that his glory would reign in the kingdom here or, or in Maui and that he would change it and that lives would be transformed by the gospel and we just, man, God's going to do a great move and we felt the spirit shaking. How many of us would say that's the bulk of what we pray for? Again, it's going to be a gentle reminder. Again, we have a few pastors here. You can ask them, they'll verify this Most prayer meetings, and this is sad This is not a good thing Most prayer meetings consist of Prayers for temporal ease And comforts My knee hurts, help it to get better I'm sick, help me to get better My dog died, help me to get better That happened to me, okay so I know that's some real pain But it's all the easing of temporal pain with very little focus on help me to be like Christ in the midst of this. Help me to love Jesus more in the midst of this. Help me to cling to the hopes and promises of the gospel more in the midst of this. Lord, change my family. Help me to lead them like, and love my wife like Christ loved the church. Help me to bring up my children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Help. Right. Very little are we wrestling with the actual promises and commands of Scripture in our prayers, and this is to our shame. So you say, Pastor Randy, is it wrong to pray for my friend to get better? No. By no means, God forbid. No, of course you pray for your friends to get better. Yes, we pray, but that cannot be the primary or even the only thing we pray for. If you read throughout all the prayers of the New Testament, and actually all the prayers of Scripture, very little, very little will you find the type of praying we do in modern day prayer meetings. So this is a challenge, Cahalui Baptist. This is a challenge for you. You've grown in many ways, and and I, I really mean that. You guys have grown, and I've seen growth in a lot of ways this past year. One area we can grow in is our prayer lives, how we pray and what we pray for. And there's much grace to do this and much hope and instruction that we will. And I've already seen growth in this area. And so I ask that you press in more do more. Consider, man, what can I do to pray like the Bible? So if that's not what we're to pray for, why are we praying? Why are we praying for peace and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way? So what are we to pray for? This isn't all the Bible says in prayer, but this is one important focus of it. We are praying for a peaceful, quiet life. We are praying for conditions that allow for the unhindered unfettered flow of the gospel that's what we're praying for we're praying for conditions in our lives a peaceful quiet life that laws will be enacted that do not hinder us from proclaiming freely the gospel salvation message of forgiveness for all people that's what we're praying for and that's what we seek we're also praying that as a church we will be the church and we won't just come to church, but that we'll actually be the church that we will actually live at home a godly and dignified life. You say, why is this important? Because I will quote Brian Chapel. He says, the indisputable fact. Why is this important that we live a godly life and dignified? The indisputable fact is the best argument for and against Christianity is Christianity. Think about that. The indisputable fact is that the best argument for and against Christianity is Christianity. Or more precisely, how Christians practice their Christianity Monday through Saturday. Christianity lived out can make inroads where few other things can. Close quote. You see what he's saying there. When we are, when we purpose to be what God has commanded us and called us and made us to be, and when He works in us and we work that out in our lives, oh, that's power that can make inroads like few things can. The reality is that the church, the church, and the power of the Spirit is one of the greatest gospel witnesses to the work and person of Jesus Christ on earth. Do you believe that? When we live together, when we function together as the family of God, as the body of Christ, as He intended us to be, we are one of the greatest witnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ on earth. On the other hand, the flip side is when individuals and in churches live lives that are not respectable, when we live lives that are not godly, that are not dignified, that are full of unrepentant sin toward others. And yet, all the while, claim to be redeemed from sin and following Jesus, this can be some of the greatest hindrances to the gospel. And so, the church, you know, one of the best arguments for and against Christianity is Christianity. And so, we pray, pray, pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Number two, prayer is pleasing. Prayer is pleasing. So why do we pray in this manner? He tells us because it pleases God. This is good, and it pleases God. How many of you have ever wondered or expressed, or maybe you've even asked me, "I, I want to please God with my life." Have we ever said or thought that? I hope everybody. All right. Uh, how do I please God? What would please God in this situation? How how do I know what is pleasing to God? I want to make God happy. I can't tell you in every case what it looks like for you to please God. Should you go down left road or right road? I don't know. I do know that if you start with prayer, that's a good place to start. I do know I'll pray for you that you'll have wisdom to know which way to go. And we can know that if you start with prayer, that pleases God. And that is good. You say, how can I spend my time well? What is a good use of my time? praying would be an excellent, excellent use of your time. It pleases God. Why does it please God? Because he desires to save all kinds of people. That's what he says, right? For there is, sorry, verse 4. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why is it pleasing? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge to the knowledge of the truth. See, what was going on is likely there are these false teachers, and because they were devoted to Miz and English genealogies, most would say that they were proclaiming some type of Jewish spiritual elitist salvation. In other words, this salvation was only for a certain group of people, a certain class of people, not necessarily for everybody. And Paul is counteracting this and is saying, no, actually, God desires to save all people kings, poor people, rich people, powerless people, white people, black people, Jewish people, Gentile people, all types of people. That God's universal offer of redemption is without distinction. And so, Paul sounds actually a very different note. Than our culture does Check this out This is important And this is very controversial Okay It's extremely controversial I'm not joking Many times I joke When I say this is very controversial Alright But this is actually not joking This is very controversial Next verse If it's on the screen Verse 5 There is one God Are we controversial yet? Yeah We already got controversial But he gets more controversial There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You realize you couldn't say something more controversial than that right now in our society? You realize you can't say something in school, a university campus perhaps, at your workplace, than that verse right there? And it starts off, there is one God. That's it. Paul sounds a very different note than our culture right now on this topic. Back in his day, there were many gods. There was a pantheon of gods, many, many Greek gods, Roman gods. Some of them overlapped. The Jewish God and many gods many ways of salvation. Our culture is actually saying some of the similar things, but totally different. What our culture is saying today is they would say, yeah, there's one God. Yeah, there's one God, one essence, one universe, whatever that is, and all roads lead to Rome for that reason, right? So whether you're Buddhist, because there's only one God, you're all going to find out at the end of time that you are worshiping the same thing, right? You guys hear this? Many rivers, one ocean. Or there's the famous pluralist picture, right? The elephant. Are you guys familiar with this? The elephant, the blind men holding the elephant. They're all blindfolded. One of them has a tail. Help that person. Uh, One of them has a leg. One of them has the trunk. Another one has another leg. And they're all blindfolded. And so the metaphor goes that they're all holding on and they're thinking they're holding something different. And one day the blindfold is going to be removed and they're going to find it's one... And the same. This is what our culture magnifies right now. Pluralism is what it's called. Religious pluralism. And so it sounds like so far very similar. There is one God. But the Bible actually, Paul would flip this on its head and say because there is only one God, there is only one way of salvation, not many. Actually, it's just the opposite. Not that there's one God in many ways to get there, but there is one God, and the next phrase clarifies that, for there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He reasons the exact opposite. And this, this, beloved, is the exclusivity of the gospel that we proclaim one way, one way to God, no other way, this has been at the heart of the missionary effort of Christianity from beginning. Do you know it's a lie and a myth to say that you're a Christian because you were born in America? Oh yeah, you're a Christian because you were born in America. If you were born in India, you would be a Hindu. If you are born in the Middle East, you'd be a Muslim. That's what you're told, right? You know it's a lie? Do you know that Christianity did not start in America? Did not start in the West. It actually started in the Middle East, starting in a little town called Jerusalem, on a little hill, that we call Calvary, with a man on a cross who rose again three days later. And the very heartbeat of Christianity that has driven the urgency of missions more than any other religion has been that there is no other way to God except through Christ. He is the only one who paid the ransom for all people. He is the only one who offered himself and who was qualified to do so as an offering on our behalf for sin. And he's the only one that can offer you any sort of hope and forgiveness for the predicament you find yourself in. And so Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Notice the definite article. The, not a. He does not say, I am a way. I am a truth, and I am a life. The definite article. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And if there is any confusion, the next phrase in John 14 clarifies it. No one comes to the Father except through me. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in his sermon entitled The Open Door is the Only Door, says this, and I quote If all we need is a teacher of enlightenment, then the Buddha will do. If all we need is a collection of gods for every occasion and need and hope, Hinduism will do. If all we need is a tribal deity, any tribal deity will do. If all we need is a lawgiver, Moses will do. If all we need is a set of rules and a way of devotion, Muhammad or Joseph Smith will do. If all we need is inspiration and insight, Oprah will do. But if we need a Savior, if we need a Savior, only Jesus will do. End quote. If we need a Savior, beloved, we need somebody to pay our ransom. We are slaves to sin, dead in our sins and trespasses. If we need a Savior, only Jesus. Forever and only Jesus. And so we proclaim Jesus not out of a burdensome, loathsome duty, as if, oh, we Christians are just so bared down, we have to say only Jesus because that's what he said. No, 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 no. We joyfully, we happily preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and get this, and wisdom of God. Far be it from us. Christians, Far be it from us that if God's plan of redemption through his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, is the only way of redemption, then far be it from us to feel ashamed of this gospel. To feel as if this is a loathsome message we bear. This is good news, good tidings. Not that there's only one way, but that there is one way, and he has made a way to undeserving sinners. If you will repent and turn to Christ. And so we say, we say there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he was not given for a certain group or class, he was given for all people. All people. Such that if you repent and today turn and exercise faith in Christ, Not only is he able to deliver you, he will deliver you. He will deliver you. So beloved, pray, pray, pray some more as an overflow of love because that's the only thing that will change the hearts of anybody and because this is pleasing and good in the sight of God our Savior who purchased your redemption with the life of his son. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that not only have you given us the gift of prayer, that by it we may come into your presence and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need, but you've actually made a way for us to come into your presence through your Son. And we also thank you that you provided us an example as to how we should pray in the Lord's Prayer, as well as John chapter 17. Lord, I pray that we would be a church of people who are defined by how we pray for one another, how we pray for your will to be done, your kingdom to become, to come. And we ask that your kingdom would come this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.